The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? There we go. So I was just on a trip last week, and I was in Tennessee. There's this really beautiful gathering of people, and uh, people of different, spoke different languages, Spanish and English. I had people from Washington State, from Miami, Florida, from everywhere in between, all different kinds of people. And we were gathering together for, for some spiritual um, discipline training. And I noticed that of our group, three people, their first language was Spanish. And I don't know if you've ever been around like kind of people that are truly bilingual, like first language. I don't mean like they could flow in and out with ease. I mean like they predominantly spoke Spanish. And if you've ever been around people, or maybe you've been the kind of minority speaker, have you noticed that your, that your personality kind of shrinks down? It gets a lot smaller whenever you're not in your first language, right? Because you're, you're trying to fit in. You're trying to just like try. Well, I'm one of those guys that's taken just enough Spanish to be highly dangerous. And I have that kind of personality where I'm always trying to connect with people. And so I'm wanting to speak to them in Spanish but I'm not very good. Like, I've got like two audited college classes, several mission trips, and a bunch of Duolingo lessons, right? That's, that's me. And so in the moment, I froze up last week with my new friend uh, who's from Bolivia, and I forgot, I was like, uh, um, how do you say hello? I forgot Buenos Dias. Like, that's, mm, that's not it, right? And so uh, she had to kind of remind me, you know, we all start with Buenos Dias or Hola or something like that. And I realized that people often get timid when they're not in their first language. But then later on, I would see these people in small groups, and they're just vibrant and alive and expressive and energetic, and the words are flowing, right? And you're thinking, wait, so there's you over here, and then there's this quieter, kind of shrunk-down version of yourself over here. So the difference was really remarkable. And what I heard recently is something that I can't quit thinking about. And this is the idea that silence is God's first language. So John of the Cross said that back in the 16th century, and I don't expect you to immediately agree with what I just said to you, but I do want you to sit with it for a moment. Is it possible that it's true? And if so, that the Lord's first language is silence, is it possible that God speaks to us in ways that we know are beyond Scripture? Like, we know he speaks to us there, but how does the Lord speak to us in silence? It's nature, right? And it's other people, and it's life circumstances, and it's, it's an inner voice. It's kind of breath and movement of life. It's music. It's art, suffering, literature. There's so many places, right, where the Lord moves in these ways. And I would suggest to you this morning that all of those tend to happen, many of those tend to happen in solitude. I often connect with the Creator in solitude. And then I think about, like in Luke chapter 19, you maybe remember this, vo- this verse where uh, they come near to the place uh, that goes down to the Mount of Olives, and then it says that the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God. They got really, really loud. And what do the church leaders say? They're like, hey, teacher, 
tell all your people to be quiet. You're a little bit unruly in your worship of the Lord, right? Which that's a whole other conversation. But then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, you know, like, be quiet. And what does Jesus say? If they're quiet, what? The stones will cry out. Like they can't not acknowledge the creator. And it makes sense when you consider this psalm from David in, in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. It's all his. It's all his. So it doesn't matter if it's a rock or if it's us. Like it all testifies to who the creator is. So why, do, why am I asking you to consider that silence might be God's first language. Simply put, like to hear the Lord speak in silence, a person has to make space for it. You have to make space for it. And that space is, is solitude. Psalm 42 says it like this, deep calls to deep. As deep calls to deep, like the spirit of the Lord that is down in the core of us, right? Like in the middle of us, the depths of us. It is the Lord that's speaking through his spirit into that space. Some of y'all that know me know that I'm just like a geography nerd. Like I can scroll around on a map for an inordinate amount of time. Like details of things. I want to know all the stuff. And some of y'all may know this, but the deepest spot in the oceans is in the Pacific Ocean called the Mariana Trench. Now the Mariana Trench is 36,201 feet deep. For a little bit of perspective, if you sank Mount Everest to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, it would still be 1.2 miles from the top of Mount Everest to the surface of the ocean. So I want, like, let that sink into you that right now, right now in the depths of the ocean, some seven miles plus deep, only three people have been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Three human beings, ever. There's thousands of people who have been on the summit of Mount Everest. Three people have been to the bottom. The deepest part is called, the deepest part is called the Challenger Deep. And I often think about that space as the space that is in the depths of our souls. And that is the place where the Lord wants to meet us. So keep thinking about that. And I want you to think about some of your relationships. Does anybody in here, have, don't raise your hand. Does anybody in here have a relationship that's one-sided? Like you do all the giving? If you don't have one of those, you may be the one who's on the other side of the relationship. <laughs> but I think about one-sided relationships. They're the people that do all the talking. When you walk away, you're kind of honored that they felt like they could share all the things with you. I mean, literally all the things with you. But then you think, I don't think they asked me a single question about myself. I don't even think they know the names of my children, right? But they told you deeply personal things. It's not a really fulfilling time together because, because. It's not that you can't have relationships like that, but it's not fulfilling because it's not conversational. There's no back and forth. It's one-sided in its, in its nature. And so I think about that more and more, and I think about how we pray. How do we pray? I ask the Lord for things. I thank God for things. Um, I, I, I praise him for things. It's all wonderful, right? We even had little acronyms. I can't even recall them right now, but we had like methods of prayer, right? Of course, we would reduce something as mysterious as prayer to like 
some four-letter acrostic. I think it was Acts. Am I right? Does anybody else know what I'm talking about, or am I crazy? Okay, so no offense, right? I've prayed that way my whole life, but it is in its nature one-sided. You understand that, right? I speak to the Lord. I thank him. I praise him. I ask him for stuff. I twist his arm. I do all the things, right? But for it to become two-sided, you have to learn to listen. And how do you learn to listen when all the stuff is going on down really, really deep? So are we listening for the Lord? Are we speaking his first language? And to hear the Lord in his native language, ideally I would need to be in his native country. These are the places where a person's true self emerges. So God's speaking to us, with us, Emmanuel. And if I asked you to share your spiritual autobiography, what would you say? How would you describe your your story to me? Would you say that you've always had a warm, beautiful journey? The churches have always blessed and encouraged you? I mean, I hope so. But my experience tells me, especially as we get older, that we tend to accumulate wounds and scars and baggage. Maybe we grew up in a religious environment that really emphasized right belief over right practice, right? Orthodoxy over orthopraxy. It was about rules, and if we just lived by the rules, everything would be okay. But the weight of that is so heavy, right, that it tends to produce things in us that cause us distress. So regardless, however, whatever your story is, many, if not most of us in this room, have worried if we are safe with Jesus. This tends to happen when I don't listen to hear back from him. We worry if we're deeply loved and cherished, if we're seen, if we're valued. And I'm here to tell you today, it's very, very, very true. But you're like, I don't really know that guy. I'm glad he's saying that about my relationship with God. But this is the truth. I mean, like, I'm a counselor by training. It has no bearing on one of my clients' self-esteem for me to tell them that they're good people. None at all. Until they can like internalize it and pack it down into their spirit and believe it for themselves, it doesn't really do much. And I will tell you this, if you will walk out of here today willing to cultivate some some space in your life to be alone with the Lord, I'm telling you, you will hear him speak to you. I'm not saying audible voice speak to you, I'm saying like the deep calls the deep, like down in here, and you know what it's going to be? Every time from the Lord, he has an affirmation for you. He has a belief in you that you need to hear. It's two-sided at that point. So I, I just got back from this deal I was telling you about. I spent, one of the days was 20, nearly 24 hours in solitude and silence. You didn't have to like sit around and wear like a monk's habit or anything like that. You just were alone. She, she didn't want us to read too much. She just wanted to kind of like be with ourselves. I journaled my experience. These are some of the words that I took out of my journal to share with you. Simplicity, peace, reflection, relaxed, time to process a whole year's worth of stuff, unhurried, enjoyed simple meals, like laughing out loud when I was sitting with some of the people that I was doing the silence with. And you know what we had for lunch? Um, Carrots, celery, the quietest thing I ate was dill pickles. (laughs) 
So we're like crunching and making all these noises together, like look at each other like, this is funny, right? Because we're like in silence. But I just had the, like, the moment to enjoy the, the humor of how loud a carrot is. And I, and I tell you what, I felt this overwhelming sense of love. And you know what? It was lo- being loved as I am currently, not for the next version of me, this relentless pursuit of next, right, that I'm loved today as I am. And this is what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. Like, I just think you're great. And I needed to hear that. And then I compare that to when I wrote a journal right after I had just been praying, like telling God all the things that I needed to tell him in my prayer. These are the words that kind of emerged from there. I felt distant and troubled. I felt very focused on other people's actions. I felt angry and hurt. And in creating space for the solitude to hear back from the Lord, almost immediately, do you know what I felt like the Lord was speaking into my spirit? I know. I know you feel that way. And you know what? I'm so glad that you're telling me. That's different than me just journaling it or praying it out, right? Like I'm I pray, I speak it, and then I give him space to say it back to me. And so this is what I want you to know. Meaningful relationships are two-sided. I'll never forget when Sydney and I went to the Grand Canyon some 25 years ago. I knew, like we're five years into our marriage, I knew that this was the woman for me, which is good, five years married, right? (laughs) I knew that this was a woman for me when we went a solid 150 miles without speaking a word to one another, and nobody was upset about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those of you who've been married for a minute, like that you can sit in silence with a person and the relationship is healthy for it? Our best relationships are often forged through solitude, like to, but together. Like solitude, but together. And just like Sydney was riding in the seat next to me, the Lord is not far from any of us, is what it says in Luke chapter 17. He's a loving presence. He's always near. And, and this is the great news, I can always cultivate my part in that two-sided relationship. So just because the teacher in me wants to take a few minutes and teach you two contemplative practices if I can. That's okay, right? I know you're not going to disagree with me, Okay. So let me, let me share with you two contemplative practices. The first one is called centering prayer. So centering prayer, uh, I'm not sure if this is something that, that you're familiar with, but the idea of it is actually quite simple. Centering prayer is learning to quiet your inner voice. And as we all know, the noise of life isn't only external. From several walks in the woods last week, I realized just how loud the voices can be when I'm physically all by myself, but all the ideas that come into my mind, all the concerns of everyday life. This is the problem whenever we stay at that level, right, in noisiness, is it keeps me in the shallows of life. I'm worried about just the moment-to-moment things. So I want you to picture your life as you consider what centering prayer is. I'm going to teach you a little bit more. I want you to picture the events of your life as a river that has a flow to it. And all the stuff that happens are different boats or canoes or ships that are sailing down the river. If you're up on the surface, right, everything that comes by disrupts that flow, right? I have to get out of the way or there's white water or there's wakes or there's, or there's waves or ripples or wind or all the things that make the surface very chaotic. But then I imagine 
like a scuba diver, you put on a weighted belt and you sink down to the bottom of the river. And at the bottom of the river, you can still see all the events of your life happening and going by, but you're not disrupted by them. And so the idea of centering prayer is you spend 15 to 20 minutes, ideally, although, although honestly I would say at the beginning, five minutes is fine. And this is the part where you're going to be like, I don't know what Jeff's saying here, so let me be really, really clear. I'm asking you not to say anything to the Lord. That's centering prayer. And so when a thought comes into your mind like, oh man, I'm so bad at this, I can't just sit quietly. No, you're not bad at it. Like you acknowledge the thought and you let it drift on down the river. Another thought comes in, you let it drift on down the river and then you just think, but all you're trying to do is connect your spirit with the Lord's spirit. Do you really believe that, that deep calls to deep? Do you really believe that the Lord wants to connect? This is how he does it. I create space and then he can move. And then some of you will be like, I'm just so bad. I've had a, I had 10,000 thoughts. Well, I, heard, I read a lady that was learning the practice and she went to the guy that was teaching and she said, I'm so bad at this. She said, I bet in 20 minutes I had 10,000 thoughts. And he said, no, that's wonderful. You know why? It's 10,000 chances to return to the Lord. All you're doing is letting it go. You acknowledge it and you let it go. So what I'm really saying is it's the truly simplest prayer of all. You're only sitting alone and each time a thought comes in, you let it go. St. Augustine said this. He said, God is closer to your soul than you are to yourself. Centering prayer is really acknowledging that. It's saying, I don't even know what I need. I can have this whole list of prayer requests and that's fine. But ultimately, ultimately, God already knows what you need. Kelsey said it in his prayer, right? This is our way of connecting to him. This isn't new age thinking. This is John 3, verse 7, when he says, you must be born from above. And in Colossians 2, verse 3, it says, the mystery of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we're saying, Lord, in your hidden, quiet place, I want to sink down to the bottom of the river and let you speak something true to me. And here's the thing about centering prayer. You may, when you're done with your 10, 15, 20 minutes of it, you may get up and walk off. You just get on and go with your day. You may not feel any different. The point isn't to conjure up a feeling. The point is to be with the Lord and let him do work down in your soul, some of the fruit of which you may not immediately know. And that's beautiful. I was thinking about that story of Martha and Mary. You remember that at the end of Jesus' life and that, you know, the classic story where everybody's always down on Martha, right, because she's really busy, like, cooking food and, and Mary's so in the moment with Jesus. And we all imagine, of course, that we're the Mary in the story, right, and that, that we really, she seemed to understand the depth of the moment with Jesus. Here's the thing. Martha wasn't wrong in the story. Meal planning matters. I'm regularly reminded that all of my harebrained ideas need some logistical backing to them, okay? And so she, it wasn't that Martha was getting it wrong. It's that she wasn't aligning her immediate needs with the spiritual practice underneath it. So Mary had that kind of divine awareness. She was living in the world in this way that understood that this moment was bigger than what was for dinner, what happens is you begin to align yourself spiritually like that. It's often like if, they, if you're in a room and somebody immediately and turns off all the lights 
and there's no windows, and immediately you can't see anything at all, right? They can't see anything at all. It's kind of scary. And in just a matter of seconds, what happens? What happens? Your eyes begin to adjust, and you begin to be able to see things that you thought, how can I see in here? There's no lights. There's no windows. Because your eyes adjust. What I'm saying is solitude creates space to let your eyes adjust in a way that just praying to God with our words doesn't do. This is probably what Paul meant about contemplative prayer in his verse that I know you know from Ephesians chapter 3. I'll just read you a couple of words of it. He said, I pray that out of your glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Are you hearing it? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You hear all like the deep spiritual nature of that? And then he talks about how you're going to be rooted established in love. So again, when that centering prayer is over, you don't always feel or think something that's important to acknowledge. Centering prayer is creating space in the busyness of life, and we get to hear God speak in his first language of silence. So as we become quiet on the inside, a calm that isn't based on outcomes, but rather that peace that passes understanding that's spoken of in Philippians chapter 4. Okay, last practice I want to teach you is called the prayer of examine. So that's centering prayer. The last practice is called the prayer of examine. When our family was young, we had nightly highs and lows at our dinner table. I don't know if any of y'all do that, but everybody in the room, everybody at the table went around and said they're low for the day or they're high for the day. Sometimes we started lows, sometimes we started highs, but everybody had to have something. Prayer of examine in layman's terms, is essentially highs and lows, but the person invited to the dinner table with you is the Lord himself. So it's kind of an examination of your consciousness. So it was started by a guy named Ignatius of Loyola back in the, the 1500s. So Ignatius was a, he was a Jesuit. He had a really bad temper. He kind of fancied himself as a warrior and a soldier, and when that didn't work out, he became a priest instead. And so he kind of took that warrior mentality into the priesthood. He said he had multiple run-ins with the police in his, in his own hometown, and he was really, really vain. So here's this guy that's like representing the Lord, but he's deeply flawed in a lot of like visible ways to his community. But he's the one that developed his practice. So the idea of the exam is that you begin to notice where God shows up in your day. It's typically one of the last things that you do right before you go to bed. Um, it's a series of questions that you ask yourselves to reflect on, to be open and attentive to what God's internal movement is in your external coming and going of the day. So sometimes you thought it was just a stress headache or, you know, that you just had insomnia. But each of those are chances to lean into God more deeply. As we become more aware of the things that we ha had happened in our day, we are invited to let God into those moments more and more. I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes I will wake up in the night because I haven't processed and thinking about stuff because I haven't processed what happened during the day. These are in the, this is the deep calling to the deep. Tell me about your day. Let me walk with you through that day. And so in the examine, um, you, get, you have some questions, and these are the questions that you'd ask yourself in prayer. I, I think laying in bed is the best place to do this. So, what part of my day causes me to feel the most grateful? What gave me life? 
for what moment do I feel least grateful? It's totally okay to have a moment in your day like, that was garbage. I hated that. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. What takes the life out of me? What sucks the life out of me? The second type of questions are, when did I give the most love today? When did I receive the most love today? And then um, where did I feel or when did I give the least love or the least amount of grace today? When did I receive the least amount of grace today? Each of those I'm acknowledging before the Lord. And so, um, and then what part of my day did I have the deepest sense of connection with God? And then when did I feel least connected with God? Do you see how you're kind of inventorying your day, telling the Lord about it? And then what did I notice? Uh, when did I notice a fruit of the Spirit living in me today? And when did I miss a chance to live that? It's important to share the, the Lord, with the Lord the good and the not good, to see Him moving in the everyday moments. This produces like fruits of like spiritual awareness, gratitude, humility, redemption of mistakes. It's amazing how you will not repeat tomorrow a mistake that you acknowledged in the prayer of examine today. Try it tonight. Try it tonight and see what happens. You will find yourself very aware of something before you make the mistake. Some of us are kind of worried about solitude. Some of us are kind of wishing COVID uh, wasn't over, though. It was like we loved all the alone time. That's, like, that's your language, right? But others of us are like, man, I can't be alone. I t I'm telling you now, like learning how to be alone with God um, is natural for your personality. Some of you, it's just more natural than others. And your soul doesn't just need it, it craves it. I'm telling you, somebody in here this morning is distressed in their spirit. Somebody in here, I don't know who it is, but you are deeply disturbed. And you think you've tried everything and I'm telling you to get alone with the Lord and let him speak something into your soul, carve out the time, and see what happens. So, this is what Dennis Lynn said. He wrote uh, a book called Sleeping with Bread. The examine makes us aware of moments that at first we might easily pass by as insignificant moments that ultimately can give direction for our lives. And this is the thing I want you to hear. After a week of solitude last week, and as I let my spirit kind of anticipate going back to life, it's like kind of that church camp feeling of like, you know you got to go back and face life after church camp, but you're kind of dreading it. This is just how life works, right? There's flow to it. There's the quiet time, and there's a busy time. To want yesterday to be today is missing today. To need today to be over so I can get to tomorrow is missing today. Today is the gift, and we can appreciate it for what it is. And so solitude produces that simplicity in even the passage of time. So this is the thing I want you to take from this. Solitude produces gentleness. Solitude produces gentleness. It's in solitude with God that he centers us, and with great tenderness, he brings us out of our shells, not unlike a turtle. He heals our wounds, and he softens our heart. But those shells that we develop in the struggles and challenges of community reform very quickly. And you guys, for good reason. Man, it is hard out there in the world. There is an immense amount of a lack of understanding 
of judgmental people, of selfish people, of inconsiderate and rude people, and people who are sure that they're right about literally everything. And that's just people at family reunions, right? (laughs) But this is the thing. So you need isolation. You need some solitude. But too much solitude causes isolation and loneliness and a lack of empathy. So while solitude produces gentleness and peace, too much time with others tends to make us hard and cynical unless we allow the Spirit to send the blessings of time spent in solitude back with us into our fellowship. So in other words, he fills us with gentleness and peace and being centered so that I can go back into the world. And then in community, we're able to bless others through our fellowship. In Mark chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but Jesus had been out healing people. And then it says, it's almost like a flyover verse. It says, and after he'd been healing people and been really busy, it says early in the next morning while it was still dark, he got up and he went out to pray. And then when he came back from praying, you know what he did? He went right back to the preaching and the healing and the doing all the stuff. So super busy, not busy at all, really, really busy. It's the flow of life. Henry Nouwen said it like this. In the center of breathless activities, we hear a restful breathing. Surrounded by hours of moving, we find a moment of quiet stillness. In the midst of action, there is contemplation. Lots of together time, there is solitude. The more I read that silent sentence about Jesus' life, the more I realize the secret of Jesus' ministry was in those moments where he went off to pray. And in that space, Jesus found the courage to follow God's will and not his own, to speak God's words and not his own, to be present to the needs of others and not just his own. He reminds us that by myself I can do nothing, was what John chapter 5 says. I seek not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. I want to confess this to you all. For too long in my life, I needed people to fill a space that only the Lord wanted to fill in solitude. It's not that people haven't helped me, but there are times when solitude is the answer. Words lose meaning without silence to consider them. And the careful balance between distance and closeness, solitude and community form the basis of our Christian life. Healthy solitude is where we find and learn that being is more important than doing. That we are more than the sum total of all our work and accomplishments, including all the amazing things that our children do. Life isn't something that you own. Life isn't something that you win. Life is simply a gift. And all of these things lead the creature to connection with the creator. And then as we leave those times of solitude with gentle hearts, with full hearts, in that really solid space, in healthy community, we're able to be with others as our truest selves. We bless others through the best version of ourselves, renewed by time alone with the Lord. We can listen to our friends who need to talk. We can show up for other people in hard times. We can celebrate with them in their good times. We can sit in traffic and pray instead of curse. We can show up. We can be there. 
We can forgive people whom we couldn't previously even be in the same room with. It's the Jesus way. Time of being alone. Time being renewed, centered in the Lord, so that times of community become more meaningful. Marked by unity, compassion, and presence for one another. That's the rhythm of life. In solitude, we seek the Lord alone. In community, we seek the Lord together. It's not just about my agenda. It's not just about me needing to escape. It's the ability to have time to think and listen and just seek the Lord and trust this, that He knows what we need a lot more than I know it myself. And we can find rest in that, that He is above all, through all, 